Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac. Thursday edition of the show, and welcome into the program. Dan McLaughlin with you on Scoops with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN. And my guest will be Ben Ryder. He is the host and producer of The Edge. I'd be curious if... Those out there, listen to podcasts. If you have downloaded this podcast and have listened to it and what your thoughts have been, or uh, if you're in the middle of it, what you think of it, it's a six-part documentary. It investigates the cheating scandal of the Houston Astros. And in 2014, Ben had written a Sports Illustrated cover story that predicted the Astros would win the 2017 World Series, which they obviously did. And then wrote a best-selling book called Astro Ball, <clears throat> Astro Ball, the new way to win it all. And so he was embedded with the Astros. He got uh, complete access. He was tight with Jeff Luno. They talked a lot about how they were doing business. A lot of ways. It was cutthroat. Um, the advent of how they use their their look at analytics and sabermetrics. Uh, how they gutted the franchise, what they did with their top picks, how they developed players, and then all of a sudden, sign stealing. So let's kind of reset the stage. We're going to take you back to spring training, and that seems like it was 10 years ago, but it really wasn't. This is about eight months ago. Um, And remember what Rob Manfred had to say about the World Series trophy. The idea of, you know, an asterisk or asking for a piece of metal back seems you know, sort of a futile act. People are always know that there was something about the 2017 World Series uh, that was different, and they're going to know that because whether we made every decision right or wrong, we undertook a really thorough investigation, and we had the intestinal fortitude to put out there the facts we found, even though they weren't very pretty. So right now, the fall guy has been Jeff Luno. It's been A.J. Hinch, but he's been hired by Detroit. And you also had Alex Cora, who's been hired back by the Boston Red Sox. And yet, the players, no repercussions. And that's where I think the rubber meets the road. You know, a lot of a lot of people wanted to see something happen to the players. And as you listen to this, you got to wonder, why weren't the players suspended? Why didn't something happen to the players and it's something to think about with this also a part of this was the ownership at that point in time and remember the press conference it wasn't very good for jim crane i want to say again how sorry our team is for what happened i want to also repeat that this will never happen again on my watch you know our opinion is um, you know that this didn't impact the game we had a good team we won the world series and we'll leave it at that you say you feel like this didn't impact the game and what do you mean by that I, I didn't say it didn't impact the game basically you know as the commissioner said in his report he's not going to go backwards um it's hard to, to determine how it impacted the game if it impacted the game and that's where we're going to leave it clearly the report states that i didn't know about it um had i known about it i certainly would have done something about it um i did did hire uh jeff and I think Jeff did a lot of great things for the organization over the years. Um, I, you know, no, I don't think I should be held accountable. So he said it didn't do anything in terms of helping them, but then said, well, maybe it did. Not good. 
A lot of people were not happy about that. Super weak apology. Super weak. If you even want to call it an apology. Jeff Luno was on a television station about uh, two weeks ago in the Houston Astros uh, area, in the, the, the Texas area in Houston. And, and you know, he's, he's addressing this. And in this podcast, by the way, with Ben Ryder, he visited with him for about five or six hours um, in the in the summer. Did one interview, I think, in like July and did one probably in the last, I would say, four to six weeks. And then this one was a couple of weeks ago. And the simple question was, how didn't you know what was going on? So I, I understand that if I were a fan and, and, and I heard about this scandal, I would assume that the GM might have known. Um, so I get that. And, and let, let's start by me saying I wish I knew, because if I knew this never would have gotten to where it got to. Um, I do have a lot of evidence. It's hard to prove that you didn't know something. It's proving a negative. But the investigation interviewed dozens and dozens of people, players, video staff members, coaches, etc. None of them said that I knew. The investigation looked at emails, text messages, Slack messages, tens of thousands of messages from different people. I handed over my phone to the MLB investigators. They went through all of my messages and everything on my phone. I provided to the investigators several pieces of evidence that they used in the investigation. Unfortunately, they turned some of those back around and tried to implicate me to say that I might have known. But I was proactive in assisting them in the investigation. And then after the investigation was over and I was fired, um, I got access to about 22,000 text messages that were from personnel in the video room. And it was clear from those messages that they were communicating back and forth about the rule violations. They were aware of the Red Sox and Yankees rule violations. They were aware it was wrong. And they also were using text messages to cheat on the job. They were communicating signs. And this was to coaches. This was to people in the video room. Um, it's all there in black and white. And it's what's also clear from it is who's not involved. I'm not implicated. I'm not in any of those text messages. In fact, there's a few text messages uh, where they say, don't tell Jeff. So it, it, it's pretty clear that I wasn't involved from that. Um, but it's also clear who was involved and how often it happened and, um, and the extent to which it happened. And now he has a lawsuit. He's trying to recoup about $22 million. So the players essentially are off the hook. Luno is on the outside looking in. A.J. Hinch is back, served his suspension. Alex Cora is back, apologized, served his suspension. Carlos Beltran, prominently mentioned in this podcast, was in, in you know, lack of a better term, kind of a ringleader with this. And remember, he was hired by the Mets and then fired and really has not addressed this at all. So he is on the outside. Ben Ryder coming up. And I think you're going to find this as a fascinating visit with him. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Ben Ryder is the host and producer of The Edge, six-part documentary podcast that investigates the cheating scandal of the Houston Astros. 2014, Ben had written a Sports Illustrated cover story 
that predicted the Astros would win the 2017 World Series, which they did. Then he wrote a best-selling book called Astro Ball, The New Way to Win It All. And now he joins us on Scoops with Danny Mac. And Ben, uh, first of all, congratulations on the podcast. I listen to podcasts all the time. This is one of the best I've ever listened to. It is fascinating. Um, what do you think about what has transpired uh, since all this has come down? And, and congratulations on the podcast, too. Well, thanks so much, Dan. I appreciate it. And I, I have a lot of thoughts, obviously, on what has transpired with the Houston Astros, this was a story and a subject that I had been reporting on, had been writing about, as you said, for years and years, since 2014, when I first went down to Houston to embed with the front office when they were still the worst baseball team in 50 years. I wrote about their rise. I wrote about how their new strategies and techniques, leveraging analytics and the human factor to get the best out of both, turned them from a laughing stock into a champion. What I had not seen and what the world had not seen was where their sign-stealing scandal fit into this picture. This is really my task in going back to this story and feeling a great responsibility to get to the bottom of what happened and contextualize it both in the organization's rise and in the larger scope of uh, Major League Baseball and how the game is being modernized. There are a lot of benefits to that, as we've seen, but there's some costs to it, too. Uh, and that's really what's, what I've investigated here. When you heard that they had cheated, what was your initial reaction when you heard that? There are really two parts to it. One, I was blindsided by it. it was like, I was hit by, by, like I was hit by a ton of bricks because I had spent so much time diving into this organization, figuring out what made it tick. Uh, so I was as surprised as anybody, maybe even more surprised when that story came out uh, exactly a year ago. But the other part of my reaction was that I wasn't shocked that it had been the Astros to do this, if that makes any sense. And I quickly started thinking about really what their process was all about. It was about finding an edge anywhere that they could, whether that was in drafting players, whether that was in on-field strategies, really pushing whatever competitive advantage as far as they could, farther than other teams were doing. That was their marginal advantage and I really started thinking about sign stealing, which, as you know, is an age-old tradition in baseball. And thinking, you know, was just was this just another area in which the Astros pushed further than anybody else? Um, I think there is something to that. I think there's something cultural that contributed to this. But as I investigate in the podcast, there were a lot of other factors too, both specific to the Astros and also present in baseball at large. So you did have some suspicions then. When you know, so you hear about it, but you kind of think back and you go, Well, maybe I, I did have some suspicions as I reflect on this. I didn't have any suspicions that they were specifically sign stealing, and I spent a lot of time going back through you know hundreds of pages of notes and interviews, and even listening back to my old interviews that I'd recorded, some of which I play in the podcast to see if there's any thread that I might have pulled that would have unraveled the sign-stealing scheme specifically, and I can honestly say there wasn't. Clearly, some of the things that players said to me, that executives said to me, took on a different weight in light of this news, but I was never in any position, as nobody was, including people in the organization, to have uncovered the specific scheme itself. What I felt like I could have been more critical of or interrogated more was 
the process or the costs of this program that they'd put in kind of bringing Wall Street, Silicon Valley strategies to baseball and, you know, maybe looking deeper at some of the repercussions this might have had generally. Those are things I spent a lot of time on uh, in the past year reporting and making this podcast. How about when Dave Tremblay says, what took you so long to call me? <laughs> you know, he says, hey, I, I'm, I was ready to talk. Uh, did you find that more people in baseball were ready to say, yeah, I, I do want to talk about this? I, on some measure, and Dave Trembley, who was you know, the third base coach and bench coach with the Astros kind of early on in Jeff Luna's tenure under Bo Porter before A.J. Hinch came in, uh, he was someone who uh, had a lot to say critically of kind of the nature of Jeff Luna's program, to be quite honest, kind of the change that he was so fixated on bringing to baseball and which resulted in a lot of positive developments as well, as far as helping players get the best out of themselves, uh, things like that, obviously bringing a world championship to Houston. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Dave Tremblay is a guy that I certainly wish I had talked to early on. I did talk to dozens and dozens of people within the organization. I think uh, I counted 46 of them. I think that's the number that I spoke with uh, for Astro Ball. But there were certainly more people I could have talked to. At the same time, it was a very different landscape when I was writing my book and doing my initial reporting on the on the Astros. They were a, a meteor, right? Uh, between 2014 and 2017, I'm not sure that you know the critics would have been quite as outspoken as they are now. When did you talk to Jeff Luno for this podcast? Because some of it seems to be. It sounds like fairly recent, or is that from some of your previous conversations, whether it be for the book or other things that you did? So I talked to Jeff Luno for a total of five and a half hours for this podcast, and you hear uh, a good portion of it, obviously not anything approaching to all of it, but I, we did one session in July, and then we did uh, one session in September I believe. And the September one really dove more into the sign stealing scandal and what he knew, or in fact, what he didn't know. Uh, and the July session was more uh, background sort of things, but you, you hear a lot. And Jeff Luno is very open and very honest with his side of the story in this podcast. It's incredible how open he is. Uh, I'm not sure I believe him that he didn't know to the extent that they uh, what they were doing, I, I'm not sure how, what you feel about that, but I'll ask you, how, how, how much do you think he knew? <laughs> well, it's a complicated question. You know, I've, I'll say that I did not just speak to the people that you hear on the podcast. I spoke to many, many, many more people, many people who are very close to this, and I didn't hear one person say, I know Jeff Luno knew about this, right? I heard a lot of people say, my personal opinion is that he did not know what the team was doing as far as the trash can banging, what his video room was doing as far as code breaker, you know, hacking, uh, hacking other team signs through the use of the replay review system. Look, MLB interviewed dozens and dozens of people. They looked at tens of thousands of documents. They couldn't conclude definitively that Jeff Luno knew about this either. But I'm not sure that that's the ultimate question, right, whether he knew or not. I think another equally important, if not more important question is, should he have known? Should compliance with the rules have been more of a priority? Should he have been scrutinizing his players and his staff 
more directly? Should he have had more oversight over what the people who work for him were doing? And as he even admits in the podcast, uh, he wishes he had done a lot more of that. And I think that that is certainly the responsibility of a general manager, no matter how many people he's overseeing, no matter how busy he is. So this is not to absolve him of responsibility. In fact, I think that he bears a lot of responsibility. He's certainly taken that as far as his punishment and his reputation. Uh, But it does suggest to me that there's more blame to go around for this. If you're really looking for a full understanding of how it happened, than to just pin it on Jeff Luna and move on. Ben Ryder is the host and producer of The Edge. Again, a six-part documentary podcast investigates the cheating scandal of the Houston Astros. It is fascinating. Um, As you try to approach players, current Astro players, were any of them receptive to at least talking on or off the record for this? You know, I, I did not, as I say in the series, I was not able to get a single Astros player on tape, unfortunately, I did dive pretty deeply in episode three into uh, you know old interviews I did with Carlos Beltran. I, I love that. Yes. Around, yes, and reporting around Carlos Beltran and the incredible influence he had in that clubhouse. And most people will say, I mean, Carlos Beltran is a great leader. He's a man of integrity in most respects. Uh, he helped the younger players prosper and help that team win maybe they wouldn't have won the world series without him even if you set aside the sign stealing piece which is a major piece of it uh but look he had this influence over a young clubhouse and there's no question that he was one of the ringleaders of this sign stealing scheme he's a complicated character now for the rest of the current players i tried i reached out to many many of them many of whom i'd spent time with before Uh, Some of them said they couldn't talk. Some of them wouldn't get back to me. Is that because they were officially banned from commenting on this? I think that's a possibility. Is it because they don't see much personal upside in it? I think that's a possibility, too. We've seen some players been outspoken here and there, Carlos Correa being the leading example. But I think there are many, many pressures that are preventing players from the Astros from providing a full accounting from their perspective of why they did what they did. Now, I happen to think that in the podcast, I present a pretty full perspective on that anyway without their participation, but I'd love for someday for somebody to come out and uh, lay it all out on the table uh, in an honest way. I think that's still coming. I I think it was really fascinating, too, Chase Utley, his perspective being a member of the Dodgers, and you got him to talk about sitting in the video room for hours trying to break down what the Astros were doing because, as he mentioned, the rumors were swirling and, you know, people kind of had an idea that something fishy was going on, but they weren't sure what it was. And and I guess, and you can explain to this to our audience, Ben, they knew something was there, but he couldn't quite pin it down. Is that fair to say? That's fair. And, you know, Chase Utley is kind of the Carlos Beltran of the 2017 right. Dodgers, former five-tool superstar who was the veteran leader of the team, wasn't playing that much. But everybody listened to him and he had that influence. And yeah, it's almost like a detective story, right? In in my podcast, heading into the 2017 World Series with Chase Utley being Sherlock Holmes, scouring hours and hours and hours of video of their upcoming opponent, the Astros, trying to figure out what they were doing. And he said, look, I could tell that something was fishy. He said the way that they would consistently lay off really good breaking balls Maybe they're good hitters, right? So maybe that happens sometimes. So to Utley, the consistency with which they were doing it suggested they were getting some advantage. 
but he couldn't figure it out. And he tells me he spends the whole World Series, you know, looking around, looking in the dugout, looking at the outfield wall, trying to pick up something they were doing. And uh, he, he couldn't pick it up. And he didn't know what they were doing until the story came out of the trash can banging in 2019. Now, as far as specifically the World Series, Utley's still not certain that they were actually successfully stealing signs. He's not. He's still not sure what they were doing in the World Series. That's one of the things that is unclear it doesn't seem as if they were banging the trash can, according to any of the evidence during the World Series. Were they doing something else? Well, it would have been very hard in that atmosphere, and Utley says he doesn't know. But again, that doesn't mean that that 2017 World Series, which once seemed like such an accomplishment, such an achievement, such a joy for the city of Houston, uh, will ever be looked back on in a way other than being tarnished. Ben Ryder is my guest, and he is the host and producer of The Edge. Again, it's a six-part documentary podcast that investigates the cheating scandal of the Astros. Ben, if you could, please uh, hold on during the break. I've got a lot more I want to get into. This is just uh, fascinating stuff and great work that you've done. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. This is 101 ESPN on a Thursday, and my guest, Ben Ryder, the host and producer of The Edge, six-part documentary podcast that investigates the cheating scandal of the Houston Astros. And again, if you're just tuning in, in 2014, Ben had written a Sports Illustrated cover story that predicted the Astros would win the 2017 World Series, and they did that. Then he wrote a best-selling book called Astro Ball, the new way to win it all. And then all of a sudden, all hell broke loose because the Astros got caught in a cheating scandal. It was Carlos Beltran, Alex Cora, A.J. Hinch, Jeff Luno has since been uh, uh, fired and now has a subsequent lawsuit against um, the Astros and trying to recoup over $20 million. And the Astros have had a black eye on that championship season. And this really dives into uh, how they got there. And it's just an unbelievably in-depth podcast. And and I would advise anybody to download this and listen to this uh, six-part series. One of the interesting parts that has a little bit of a St. Louis connection, Ben, that I wanted to ask you about, and it touches on this, is Chris Correa. Chris Correa was part of uh, the St. Louis Cardinals at one point, had a, a relationship with uh, Jeff Luno when they were here in St. Louis, and you had the chance to to catch up with Chris. Um, what was that like, just uh, just catching up with Chris? Well, you know, I didn't speak to Correa for this podcast. I, I, I believe I was the only journalist to have visited him in prison. When he was in prison uh, in Maryland, I visited him in 2018 and sat down with him for about three hours. And I wrote a story for Sports Illustrated that you can find online about uh, how Chris Correa made this mistake and, and slid down the slippery slope that took him from the Cardinals front office to federal prison. You know, I think in retrospect, he really served as almost a model for how this could happen uh, in a more severe way, obviously, with, with much bigger repercussions than happened to anybody on the Astros but kind of a model as to how competition and getting caught up in competition and kind of not seeing the line between gamesmanship and something much more sinister 
assisted by modern technologies that can now allow people to take that sort of activity to another level. I think he's a model for uh, how that happened. Do you have any idea what he's doing now? You know, I, I do on some level. I know that he is uh, out of out of prison. Um, I believe he's still on supervised release, and I, I think he's trying to get his life back together. Yeah, uh, far away from from baseball, that's for sure. Yeah, I, w- I would imagine. I-, I thought the really interesting part of this was when you went back and talked about the history of sign stealing in baseball, which has been around forever. Um, it's part of the game, but talking about Bob Feller coming back from his <laughs> his service. It for our country and using what would be the equivalent of like a telescope to try to steal signs. And then Bobby Thompson's shot heard around the world may have been caught on uh, by him knowing signs. I mean, it's been around forever. It's just the Astros took it to this technologically advanced stage that's incredible now in 2020, but then 2017. But it's been around forever, and you were able to kind of capture that in this podcast. That's right. I mean, the first recorded incident of sign stealing was in 1876, in the very first year of the National League, when a team had a box attached <laughs> to a telegraph pole and somebody next to the field, and somebody was up in that box with binoculars uh, hacking the other team's signs. What I wanted to do that section, which was besides being a very entertaining se- section uh, to me, was to establish that this has been a long tradition in the game. And for most of the game's history, it was a matter of ethics. It wasn't really even a matter of rule breaking. Now, MLB did ban the use of technology to steal signs, technology or devices in the year 2000. So this was against the rules, but still no individual had ever been punished for using technology to steal signs until the Houston Astros. Right. Like like it had been going on for so long. But in practice, it was really a matter of ethics, not rules. Again, this is not to absolve the Astros of what they did. It's kind of to show how they took what had been an age old, almost valued tradition in baseball and use technology to weaponize it to a degree that nobody ever had before. You know, you were talking about Correa earlier and just the sinister aspect of things, and you really got into the podcast about the Osuna deal to get uh, the closer that had the checkered past and to bring him on board and how inside even the Astros uh, organization in their front office, there was you know some that wanted to make that move, others did not. And, and that's kind of, I think, the interesting part of the podcast where, not to say that it, it got to be divisive, maybe it did, but um, just explain that a little bit and how that kind of opened up maybe some of the, the wounds of, of what happened with the, in this podcast and what happened with the sign stealing. Sure. Well, you know, my book, Astroball, came out in July of 2018. And three weeks later, the Astros made this really controversial, divisive move when they traded for Roberto Asuna, great closer, 23 years old, the fastest, the youngest pitcher ever to reach 100 saves. But they traded for him while he was in the middle of serving a 75-game domestic violence suspension while court proceedings were ongoing in Canada because he was a manager. He was a, a member of the Toronto Blue Jays at the time. And even as I was kind of promoting my book, this was the moment where I stopped and I said, man, this surprises even me. How far will this organization go in its pursuit of winning, in its pursuit of an edge? 
And I think that there's a direct line that you can draw between that move and then the incident in the clubhouse during the World Series last fall where the assistant general manager kind of yelled at a female reporter about the acquisition of Roberto Osuna, saying he's so glad they did it, kind of yelled at her in the middle of the clubhouse, which created its own scandal, mini scandal that threatened to overshadow the World Series in part and turned a lot of the world against the Astros organization. And then what came out a couple of weeks later with the sign stealing and the reaction against that, there's really a through line here of an organization that's really willing or for whatever reason, tests ethical boundaries and uh, upsets a lot of people in the process. There's no doubt. What did you think of Alex Cora getting back in the game? And what do you think of AJ Hinch being back in the game? I'm not surprised at all. First of all, I will say that unlike Jeff Luno, we know that these guys knew about it, right? Alex Cora was one of the ringleaders of both the video room scheme and the trash can banging scheme. He was involved in both of them. AJ Hinch has admitted many times that he knew about it. He feels like he should have stopped it. You know, he kind of made some, some efforts to do it a little bit. He destroyed the video monitors they're using a couple of times and they didn't go much further than that. Uh, but yeah, they're back. And I think there are a couple reasons for it. First of all, they did pay a significant penalty, right? Being suspended, being fired, uh, losing a year in majors. That's a, that's a pretty significant penalty. So I think they did their time, but at the end of the day, I think they're viewed as, you know, good baseball men. They're obviously have a winning track record. They were players themselves. They're well-liked around the game. My personal opinion and what I've heard is that Jeff Luno, who never quite shed his outsider status, even though he's been in the game for 16 years now, starting in St. Louis, I think he'll have a much harder time uh, being brought back into the fold. On some level, I'd be surprised if it ever happens. Yeah, and with $22 million lawsuit, I would assume that that's not going to help either. Would you agree? No, no, certainly. If you sue uh, a Major League Baseball team for $22 million, and he's suing them because he was – fired for cause, you know, even though you can plausibly argue that he didn't know about what his team was doing. Uh, the owner of the team, Jim Crane fired him for cause, which includes kind of tearing up the contract that was due to pay him $22 million over the next several years. Uh, so that's why he's suing. I'm, I'm not sure about this. We didn't talk about it. I didn't know the lawsuit was coming when I interviewed him, but it, part of the calculation could be, you know, well, you know, I'm unlikely to get a job back in major league baseball, uh, so I, I, I think that this financial potential financial gain, or at least the financial aspect of what was taken away from him certainly plays a role in that calculation. What has been the reaction in and out of baseball to your podcast from players to owners, front office people, writers, all those people, fans, what, what's been the reaction to this? <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, I knew that I was kicking the hornet's nest with this one, Dan, right? And my only goal was to tell the truth, was not to be pro-Astros, not to be anti-Astros, not to be pro-MLB, not to be anti not to be anything, just down the middle truth. Uh, I expected there to be a lot of blowback because obviously fans are passionate about their teams, uh, but there really hasn't been. I've, I've been heartened by that, that people find it to be a very fair telling, uh, including a lot of news, a lot of things they didn't know, of this really historic moment in baseball and this historic scandal. What I really wanted to do is shine sunlight on a lot of things that remained in the darkness, I felt, even you know a year after the story initially broke. And it, it's good to know that you know those efforts can still be rewarded in our world. 
And finally, do you think this goes away when fans are back in the stands and Altuve, Correa, Bregman get in the box? Do you think fans forget? I don't. I, I saw it in spring training. I was doing the games. They were getting booed. They, people were smashing the the back of uh, the seats during spring training games. I don't think it goes away. What do you think? I don't think so either. A lot of people were saying, oh, they got a break, right? Like if there's any any group of people in the world who could find some silver lining whatsoever in this horrible pandemic year, it's the, human Astro- the uh, Houston Astros because they did not have to face the music as far as opposing fans. I think they're only delaying it, right? I think these guys have become the villains of baseball. And as Dave Trembley says in my podcast, these guys are going to have to live with this for the rest of their lives. And I think they will in some respect. I don't think anybody's ever going to look back at what was once such a great team, such an inspiring story of an underdog kind of coming out on top. Nobody's ever going to look back at this at this story the same way. And no matter what they do for the rest of their careers, this is always going to be with these guys. It is absolutely awesome. Just fascinating. Ben Ryder, my guest, the host and producer of The Edge, I would advise and recommend everybody to get it, download it, listen to it. Six-part documentary podcast that investigates the cheating scandal of the Houston Astros. Ben, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on the podcast and wonderful work. It is really, really good. Really appreciate that, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Just a really great podcast. If you download podcasts and you love baseball and and you're interested in investigative reporting, do yourself a favor and download uh, The Edge. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. No, it's obviously an uncomfortable day for for myself and the organization. A difficult decision was made last night to relieve Mike Yo of his head coaching duties. You, you never make these decisions in a vacuum or, or quickly, and it was just something that uh, that I felt and, and shared with ownership that it was time to 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 make a change to see what we can accomplish for this season. We got to move forward here, and we got to get better, and that's the plan. So we got ideas. We're working on it right now. So you can bring out the Zamboni. Jordan Bennington in his first career NHL start shuts out the Philadelphia Flyers three to nothing. We got to uh, definitely got to instill some confidence back in this hockey team. O'Reilly shoots, he scores! Bring out the Zamboni! It's a franchise record, eleven consecutive wins. Ryan O'Reilly wins the game in overtime for the Blues. It's a good hockey team. We got good players, and we got to get moving in the right direction. Get up, St. Louis! Get on your feet! Raise them high! Five seconds to go, and the time weighs down! They did it! It's over! The game is over! The series is over! The wait is over! And the St. Louis Blues are the Stanley Cup champions for the first time in franchise history! So why would we be playing that now two years ago today following a 2-0 loss to the last place Kings? Craig Berube named the interim coach of the St. Louis Blues 71-42-19 since taking over Alex Ferrario, who's in on the crossover. Alex, Ribs, and BK coming up next. And uh, let's just say it was the right move. It was the right move. You know what's funny, Dan? When you go back and, and listen to those highlights, you know, Bennington picks up the shutout. 
I didn't believe that the Blues were going to be any good. Still thought it was going to be a first overall pick for them. Uh, 11 straight. I believe they were good, but I didn't think they were going to be a postseason team. It didn't take me until, I don't know, they beat the Dallas Stars. I'm like, holy, you know what? This team could actually win the Stanley Cup. But I remember the night that they fired Yo because Joey and I had just wrapped up postgame. Like, we did postgame until about 11 o'clock because, I mean, you just lost to the Kings, right? Like, the worst team. We wrapped up postgame, probably did it for about an hour and a half. We're walking down the steps of Enterprise, going to the parking lot. Midway down the steps, we get the the alert on our phone, like Mike Yo relieved of his duties. And we're like, what the hell? So we like ran back upstairs because we were like, do we need to do anything? It was a crazy night. But I mean, from that press conference on, it was the best decision that the Blues have ever made. What was the difference with him? Confidence. I mean, I remember that press conference, Dan. I mean, we all know Craig Berube. He's a man of very little words. But what he says resonates. And I specifically remember, we just heard it there, him saying, we got to instill confidence in this team. And between Berube, Van Ryn, Ott, Larry Robinson, they took a team of guys that, I don't want to say weren't confident in themselves, but couldn't put together a 60-minute hockey game to a team that, knew they could beat anybody that they played in, in that 11-game win streak. I remember having conversations with these players saying, we don't care who the opponent is. We're confident in ourselves. That's what Barubi did. Unbelievable. So two years ago today, Craig Barubi named the interim coach of the Blues, and now he has got the job permanently, and we wonder when they will pick up again. It was not a good day to be a hockey fan yesterday. Uh, Elliot Friedman came out with a story about a half hour ago. He said, sometimes uh, you need a good night's sleep to give you perspective. So with that, some thoughts on yesterday. It was not a good day. If anyone was hoping major details about the upcoming season would be settled by the weekend, yeah, that's not happening. My personal belief is that the season is to begin January 1st. Deal needs to be reached by the end of the month, hopefully sooner. But if some things have to be rushed, they'll be rushed. Wednesday's events knock things off course, and the players will need a few days to regroup. They are angry, and they feel betrayed. Ouch. Sounds familiar, doesn't it, Dan? Mm. Huh? Something that we just lived through, something that we've yeah. lived through in the NHL. Yeah. Uh, you know, look, it's not good news. Um, I, I will say if you're looking for optimism, which I always am, especially on a Thursday when it's nice out, uh, Elliot did point out that the players and Gary Bettman want to play. So, like, this isn't the lockout where both sides are like, no, it's not even worth playing. Like, they want to get back on the ice. Um, and according to Elliot Friedman's report, they have a plan that's w- like what the plan is going to look like for how they're going to play in terms of divisions, kind of the hub cities. So it sounds like that they just got to figure out the finances. And that's easy, right? Like, billionaires and billionaires oh, can yeah. find out the finances pretty quick. But, sure. you, know, you know, I was talking with Joey about it. We got our show tonight, This Week in Hockey, and and Joey even said, you know, it looks bad on paper, but this is something that they've kept internal for a really long time, and I think the players are just frustrated right now, which is why we're starting to hear about it. But it is something that both sides are confident they'll get something done. So he believes, and I believed, we're still going to see hockey. It just might not be on January 1st like we all expected. All right, Alex Ribs, BK, coming up next. We'll talk tomorrow at 10 on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast powered by I Promise.